You know, uh, I've been through many walks of life, honestly, you know, and it's egregious, it's appalling, it's abysmal, absolutely deplorable the way that they treat people. Because we're marginalized, because in some cases racialized, you understand? And you're in a vulnerable sector from this municipality and that's why it leaves you open to institutions such as these. It's like they just don't care. You know, like when someone doesn't care, they, do, they just do it half-assed. They just really don't care about anything. I don't understand, like, they're dealing with people with traumas and all kinds of other addictions and stuff happening and they, it's like they don't have any compassion for people. What the Delta Hotel did to me is a total injustice. You do everything you can right and still like, get punished for it in a building like this. You almost feel like you're stripped naked of your dignity at some points by being here. So if you don't have your wits about you, if you're not astute, if you're not able to advocate or defend yourself, these institutions will actually be the reason for you turning legally unhinged. I've listened to some of the stories in this place and you know what, damn it, it brings me to tears. I thought I had a hard life. You know, and I hear some of these stories. It, it's eye-opening. Good day. Welcome to the Trial by Shelter podcast. A podcast that is speaking back to the war on the unhoused community. Each episode, we will be talking to community members across Toronto and beyond about the unhoused experience. And this would include people in shelters, outside of shelters on the streets and encampments, as well as anybody who may be housed or unhoused that has been through the shelter experience. And these won't be from rumors, they'll be facts from the people, just from their mouths. Real stories with real energy. And we're only here to bring some light towards what is usually a dark scenario, which is the mistreatment of humanity in their time of need in the shelter system. Myself, I'm Dreads. I'm here for your entertainment. I'm hosting this because I feel, and my community members also feel, that I can represent the voice of the unhoused community between the experiences I've had living in and out of encampments, in and out of housing, different living conditions. Welcome to episode one. It's egregious, it's appalling, it's abysmal. That is a quote by our good friend Egypt. For our very first episode, the Trial by Shelter crew went to Delta to hear from residents talk about the different kinds of oppression they've experienced. In this episode, you will hear many voices telling their stories. So this is our warning for triggers of trauma or any other things that may affect. Anthony Brown, um, I live at the Delta in Scarborough, 2035 Kennedy Road. I see everybody in the building as humans, but they don't. They treat people like they're trash. You should see the way staff talks to some clients when they come in the door as soon as they walk in. Like, they're ready to yell, they're ready to scream. It's always like escalating with them instead of de-escalating. Oh, 
I'm from Kazakhstan, so I do Borat references. You know, back home uh, in Kazakhstan, they're very serious about uh, relaying to the West that Kazakhstan is nothing yeah. like it. <laughs> and it's exactly like it. <laughs> uh, jail name, uh, Maza Rasha. Government name, Camilla. I have been homeless for seven years. This is the other side of Toronto, Scarborough. They tried to put people with severe comorbid mental health and addiction issues here to take them away from downtown. So here they are. For two years, over 50 deaths, the EMS truck comes at least four times per day. They might as well put a police station here. To give you context here, the shelter hotel programs like the Delta opened up during COVID. At that time, people in shelters were unable to do social distance from people who got sick with COVID and could not isolate. Oh boy, do you want the truth? <laughs> okay, shelter hotels, they opened because there was a large population of unhoused folks on the street, in the parks, so they could find safety. And it was becoming a visual... Uh, what do we say? Visual display for the community to see. And it was a problem that was going right across the GTA. And the frontline workers and activists had to launch a lawsuit in order to get the city to provide the safe housing necessary for the vulnerable people that were and weren't in the shelter system because the hotels were empty during COVID, the city contracted to use them as extra shelter spaces. While the city opened up, I believe, 53 of the shelter hotels, it has been a costly program where funds have been badly misallocated. So 311 was the city service that was used to procure people from the park to fill the shelter hotels. And the police were saying that we've chosen to refuse shelter. And their clearing was just by force. Like, get out and stay out of the park. And we don't care where you go. So if you didn't take the shelter hotel program, you were labeled as a miscreant on the street and a plague to the neighborhood. Now, they're slowly closing the shelter hotel program down. But the problem is the number of unhoused people continues to rise. So while the regular shelters are full, closing the shelter hotel program will mean an increase in people living back on the streets and in the park. Hi, my name is David Adams. I stayed at the Delta Hotel. I'm 58 years old and, and it's just a shame because all these people that are kicked out of Nobatel, all these people that are kicked out of Bond, they're all in these ho hotels. Strathcona, gone down. Bond Hotel, gone down. And there's nowhere to put these people. And I feel that the city is gonna have a bigger problem on their hands again. It's gonna be a worldwide tent city. How's the mayor, how's, the, how's the, our politicians gonna deal with that? You can't just sweep it under the rug. It doesn't go away. The rug is getting higher and higher and higher. Today, I went to the drop-in center and we phoned Central Intake. All right. Education session, Central Intake. 
Central Intake is a city-operated 24-7 telephone-based service that offers referrals to emergency shelter and overnight accommodations as well as information about other homeless services. So Central Intake is the process of getting your intake done. So you get to find out if a shelter exists with an open bed or at least let you know where drop-ins open, a warming center, things like that. So central intake is supposed to do that but the con to that is if you're outside in the cold and you're calling for a bed or it's raining and you're calling for a bed they'll tell you to call back in half an hour or an hour if there's no bed if you're hungry and you're outside if you've got no means of communication that's constant you're you're left to the strings and that's if you've gotten the chance to call central intake or you've got a stay beside someone with a phone that's willing to do you that favor of consistently calling the central intake. What got me into homelessness is going on a bad interview, being rough and all draped. I have been homeless for seven years, on and off. Um, let me tell you, I live in the city uh, under a highway, you know, I'm 34 educated, real estate agent, executive assistant in an engineering firm, executive assistant in a medium firm, uh, executive assistant in a medical office, two surgeons and a physician. Here I am. How the fuck I end up here? Why? Why can't I just have a roof over my fucking head? You know, three weeks I'm calling central intake. Everything is full. Gerstein Center, full. Abused woman's line. Everything is full. The shelter, 103 over capacity. More people are staying than allowed by fire, but people are letting them stay because it's better than dying of heat on the street. I call central intake uh, every two hours. I call it 2.30, 2.30 in the morning. That's a golden number, the secret inside. That's when the system clears all the non-attends from the previous day. Uh, so I'm sitting there patiently, you know, drinking coffee at nine, so eh, I don't want to miss it. And they spend about 30 minutes taking all your data and updating your file and then saying, let me look. And when that music plays, nah, 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 you're like, God, please, please, God, this time come through. I'll be good. I'll be better, the guy. And you're like negotiating with fucking air. It's like, let, let this be my lucky day. Let this be. Nothing is available. I went to Canadian Tire, bought a $29 like air mattress and like a tent. I, 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 I thought glamping was not for me. About 300 people per day on average get turned away from central intake by getting told they do not have space for you or neglected with the wait process. So call back in half an hour, but life is moving while you're out there. Hunger, uh, you could be fighting for your sleeping bag, right? Anything like that. So a lot can change in 30 minutes when you're stuck outside. On July 4th, I had an incident at the Delta Hotel. I was service restricted for eight days. I had lost my room. I could not get back my ID. 
And me being as a medical patient, I just had a hernia operation. I have staples inside of me and stitches on the outside. I was made to stay out on the street for over three weeks. I came back eight days. They said I was still service restricted. The guards had came along. They had literally manhandled me to the street. I was made to sleep out in the rain. I came there in the rain looking for shelter. I did not sleep. I just went underneath it. And security guards came along. I was charged with trespassing. Again, I was recosted and thrown to the street. What service restrictions are is pretty much if you've done or you're accused of anything, you are pretty much out, right outside. They'll decide to service restrict you for a set period of time. Uh, it could be three days, it could be a month, it could be a permanent thing. But the service restrictions are, they're unjust for multiple reasons. But it's, uh, the, the consequence can always magically be extended with or without your knowledge and they have no way to communicate to you if that gets extended so you could be out for three days and you come back in three days and it's turned into a month right but it restricts you from entering getting any shelter services of any kind so you can't get food you can't get any service you can't come on the property about three and a half to four weeks ago, exited my room, a gentleman approached me. This was the third time he did it. Um, he took my engagement ring because he's bigger physically. He's also drunk in a blackout. When this happens, the next day he sees me, he doesn't remember what happened. Um, and he grabbed me at my chest and pulled at it and um, that night was not a good night so i defended myself i was then arrested uh the gentleman continuing to live in the hotel continues to rob and do this to women and at the police station i was strip searched beaten my headphone was taken my phone was taken uh, for evidence purposes the videos oh and i was uh, charged with trespassing despite myself living here i was charged with intoxication public intoxication and um, attempted murder after reviewing the tapes the sergeant came in and said camilla you're free to go stay away from that place trust me this has been over a month where all of my things are in the hotel and if I enter and I cross the public sidewalk on the property, I'm physically, this is the third time now, assaulted by security, a young um, males between 19 and 27 and pushed off, thrown on the sidewalk, threatened, called, all kinds of names. Um, so I've been sleeping under a tarp. Uh, two days ago, I was robbed by four people. Um, then they went straight into the hotel. And uh, when I asked security just to give me a Band-Aid or call EMS, they refused. They refused to call the police. They refused to follow the people, investigate. Um, and unfortunately, today, 
police uh, was called on me for trespassing. I explained the situation. The person took my phone, beat, concussed me, beat me until blackout, four with weapons. She has my bag, my phone, uh, my card, my ODSP papers, my lunch, and a couple of socks and underwears and my uh, toiletries. Security refused to get involved and said they told me to get off the property, refused to call EMS or police. So did the community service guys. Two of them watched the whole thing. Nobody came to help. I had to go to the hotel and I was told to get off the property. I said, could you just give me alcohol swab so I can disinfect, I'm bleeding. Um, can you take a look, is there a bruise on my face? Ma'am, this is the last time we're gonna warn you. Get off the property. Oh, my name uh, Russell Schmidt, and uh, I live at the Delta, but before the Delta, I was at the Edward. You know, I was there for a year and nine months, right? A year and nine months. And I'm, I was only there for, because I went into depression, because my my ex, um, I may, may or may not have a child with her, because she said it wasn't my job to, uh, to do anything. So um, I own a bar for ni nine years. I was working for, after I closed down my bar, I started working for TTC, and uh, that's when we split. <laughs> and then so I decided to sell the condo, sell everything, just took, you know, my basics. A month and a half left to school, and I would've graduated. My sister got me into the, the Edward, and that's where it all started. So for the first year, it was meh, okay. But besides that, a lot of fucking, you know, crazy sh and, um, you know, thinkable, like, what I wouldn't do that shit if I was you kind of shit, you know? They kicked me off because they asked me to downsize. Give me bags that I didn't need, take the bags that I didn't want, you know, downsize. So I'm not a hoarder, right? But it's just like, it was like m most like computer stuff and, and things like that. Someone asks you for like, you know, you got that cord for that, you know, audio and cable cord, whatever. I, I know I have one somewhere, right? But because I have an ADD and ADHD, it's taking me like three hours to clean, five minutes to mess it all up again. So I, I started downsizing. That they're like, well, you can go to you know, uh, self storage. I'm like, where am I getting money? Where, 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 where's my ID? You know what I mean? Like, I'm asking you guys, and no you know, help. With it no at help. All. They would hold my mail for months on end, or they would send it back, and then back down to downsizing, right? Oh, I kid you not. So they're like, you're getting dismissed uh, tomorrow. I'm like, for what? They're like, well. When you're, when you're not doing nothing with your life, we gotta let you go. I'm like, was I not working for Wonderland? Was I not working with KK and his boss with uh, the Marvel countertop installments, installations? Um, was I not working for the exhibition? Like, what do you mean I was doing nothing with my life? And they go, well, and until uh, and we saw you packing, so we thought you had somewhere to go. I thought you just said you wanted me to downsize. Lost everything. So where the rules are being skirted by the staff and the staff can easily blame the residents, these are the real things that are happening before residents are ousted that aren't documented. And, and it's hilarious too because like when I was at the Edward, and I guarantee you it ha probably happens here too, but there was a guy named KK that was a dealer slash seller, whatever, rah, rah, rah. The staff would, you know, he'd, he'd buy the staff off, you know what I mean? And then, um, I, I kid you not, it's like, 
And then one of the stuff that I, that I found in KK's room, because the door wasn't supposed to be closed with two stuff in the room, right? It's like, and it's not allowed. But they'd be laughing it up in his room, and they'd be going to their car after, after the shift. He goes, you know what's really funny about these people is that if you hold a piece of meat above your head, they'll do whatever you said, they'll do whatever you want. I, I can speak to hearing those kind of comments when people are calling for help over the phone and they'll say an excuse and when they hang it up, they'll speak to another worker and say, that's how you get rid of them quick. You know, long conversation, you just tell them there's there's currently a service restriction and, and you hang up the phone. So this means even if there's beds in there, they're willing to curveball it just to avoid some work instead of applying themselves. Right? Yeah. My name's Egypt. And I was just having a very impassioned and ardent conversation today with my own uh, now who uh, acts as my ICM worker, who's not formally or officially my ICM worker. She has gone above and beyond the call of duty to assist me because my ICM worker, she's too busy on the phone with her boyfriend. And just so that we're clear, no, I'm not the only person that's had this issue with the same worker. It's like we're trying to do if we're trying to do anything in real time like anything in 2023 this person is not going to help or try to assist me with getting day-to-day -day, you know like quotidian or diurnal tasks done you know that ultimately affect my immediate well-being you see what i'm saying and the overall state of my person and what is propitious and auspicious to me and ultimately providential to be able to move me in and out and an upward trajectory however she just rather you know Beyond that, you know, that hotline bling. <laughs> As Drake says, yeah. call me on the cell phone. <laughs> Late night when you. <laughs> right? right? It seems like every time that, you know what I'm saying, you're trying to see her, it's like she's trying to hide. And not even like, even in like a cleverly or not even like an inconspicuous, just conspicuously. Yeah, you know what I'm trying to say? I feel like, to be honest, they're more standoffish um, in that regard. Uh, so it's like, you know, oh, tomorrow, but you still have a good portion of today left. The business day isn't finished yet. It hasn't concluded. If I come to you at 2 o'clock in the afternoon and you still got until 4.30, some places close at 5. Tomorrow, we're busy. Doing what exactly? Yeah, <laughs> Hiding behind the doors that you guys love to keep closed, that you guys love to shut, that you're always in, like, like you're hiding from ISIS or some shit like that. Like, who are you hiding from? Open the door. Door's always closed. Um, it doesn't exactly feel like come in, we're welcoming you. It's not exactly warm, you know what I'm saying? It's not pleasant. Like, oh, well, you know, we can't be bothered with you is essentially the message that they're portraying. You see what I'm trying to say? And you feel almost like inconveniencing, almost like encumbering or like cumbersome to them, you know? Um, and that's that power struggle, right? It's, it's that superiority complex that people are operating in. You see what I'm trying to say? Megalomanism, as I call it, okay? Some hubris, all right? Hubris. Um, I have actually helped with a couple of overdoses myself. I know there was one staff member, she had no idea what the hell she was doing. And I jumped in and I'm like, you need to start doing chest compressions and we need to raise her head. We need to throw a pillow under there or something. I've, I, I just bought a bath pillow because I, uh, I really wanted to take a bath and I had a little uh, beaded pillow. We shoved that under, uh, under the girl's head that had overdosed and she was doing the chest compressions while I gave her the readouts. 86 uh, BPM, 85 BPM, we're dropping fast, 80 BPM, <laughs> beats per minute, you know. And uh, 
we ended up saving this person's life. They had no idea that I had been involved with saving their life. They actually got into a fight with me one day in the elevator. And I, I just thought to myself, you know, keep your mouth shut. You saved this person's life. <laughs> you know, they should be thanking you. Little do they know. <laughs> but what I'm appalled with is that these people actually get paid to come and do a service, to come and do a job, you understand? And these are the same people that I literally like are taking like from our limited supply of food. They only allocate so many dinners, so many meals and stuff like that to the homeless shelter. They only basically give you enough for the amount of rooms that you have. Like they don't, they don't give you two per person. They just give you like one per person. They count the beds and that's how many meals you have and that, that's a period. These are the same people that I see go and take like, especially the meals that are popular, which is like when most people can eat because it's not making them sick. Because the meals honestly really aren't that edible unless you like want to get food poisoning. Unless you want to be ill forever. Most of the people don't even eat here. They just starve. That's actually how I've lost now close to actually 70 pounds. <laughs> just recently from starvation. <laughs> um, spaghetti mainly seems to be a real popular choice for staff here. So the masses are obviously going to like line up. You see what I'm trying to say? The meals, they come up at 7.30, okay, by 8 o'clock, and they're already gone because the staff. Like, you'll see them. Like, oh, I'm going on break. Like, you guys get a paycheck. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. Like, there's people that are in need of this. Like, that's the reason why they don't have anything because it's in your belly, right? Like, that's just deplorable. Like, that's harrowing behavior. There are people that actually need this food and that they don't know the next time that they're even going to eat because, like, they're busy hurling their guts out. They're busy being ill. The amount of food poisoning cases that I've seen in this place is like honestly, it's unpre it's like unsurmounted. So I just feel like you know you come in here and it's basically like you're trying to like you know kick somebody out. You're trying to like add salt to the wound. Yeah, I get paid here. Yes, my nose is turned up to the sky. I'm hoity-toity. Yes, I think I'm better than you. Yes, I think there's a division. Yes, I think that you'll never be on my level. To add insult to injury while you're down, yes, I am going to eat your food too. <laughs> okay, I could pay for it, <laughs> but I'd rather just throw it in your face. They'll just literally take it right off the food tray in front of you and like a line and a sea of people waiting for food, a line that's literally around the corner and they'll just say, thank you, I'm going on break. I moved in here with a $60, I had to pay my doctor $60 for a doctor's note that says, I have a high metabolism, I need twice as much nutrition as the average person my age so I need double meals uh, that was during the intake when I came in here they were supposed to photocopy it and give it back to me I never got it back and apparently it's not even in my file that piece of paper doesn't exist anymore I paid $60 for that piece of paper that doctor's signature on that piece of paper and now I'm supposed to pay $60 again and that just reverts back to what we were talking about at the beginning there is you know spending the money in order to survive where these guys are supposed to be supplementing us so we can save the money for you know first and last month's rent you know i i have a bit of a respect for the police you know i try not to to break any laws but of course there's always the instance of survival you mentioned stealing earlier you know it's, i've had to go out and steal hot dogs in order to to survive because they won't feed me here based on my metabolism like so it comes down to the staff just not being they're not competent enough to apply themselves to the work that really needs to be done so this is a, this is a no different from if you have to work in a nursing home you're dealing with human care
My biggest issue is with the bed checks and stuff, and that's the reason that staff say I'm abusive is because I have like four signs on my door. Three of them say do not knock, uh, just announce yourself and enter, and then one of them is female staff only. And probably a handful of the times staff are coming correctly. Usually they're always knocking because, again, they don't read the signs. They just walk around and just do whatever they want to do. And that has gotten to a point where I, I, I'm not able to sleep anymore. And not only that, it also causes me to, like, use more because I, I try to go to sleep and I can't go to bed. So if i got to smoke a joint or whatever, like, i got to do to go to sleep, which I've already explained to them I don't want to be doing this kind of stuff as much as I'm doing it because of them. And they still, the answer I got from the manager, they still is like, um, they're only human. They can, they, you know, their mistakes are, but their mistakes are impacting my life. And it's not mistakes, again, it's like negligence. You're in that industry with people. And you've got to deal with people of all levels all the time. So the staff here need to understand, at any shelter really, you need to understand the the variables of vulnerability that are come to you for help and try to provide that. Instead, what we're having here is um, the quick hire staff that don't know anything about it, the, the industry, and as soon as they're afraid, they call police. This is what helps feed the wheel into the justice system from the poverty state. Since you can't appeal, you can't do anything other than look like a troublemaker at the shelter, the staff take advantage of that. So whether it's them ignoring your knees and adding to the little provoking things that don't go on paper, like um, the, the mistreatment from staff, like whether they choose to insult, kick you, do anything like that, Right, Those aren't documented, but your reaction to any of those situations would be. Someone not meeting your dietary needs, you're going to get upset because now it's there's been three meals today and two of them have passed and you've eaten nothing. So that's going to provoke you to react. They don't do anything about it until you react. Then they say you've been disrespectful, yelling at the staff, all kinds of stuff. And this now either sends you back outside or to another shelter, right? which just lets the business role it it feels to me like homes first makes money off of us and i was raised by a group home system that turned me into a commodity and by the time i was old enough and smart enough i guess to realize it because they only half educated me they the group home system actually designs you basically to be a prostitute to suck dick to survive and because i happened to have asperger's and i was able to kind of see past that and i self-educated myself I started to see the bigger picture and, you know, I was raised by Interface Child and Family Services. They had a, 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 a director, the guy owns boats, houses, condos, he's got a fucking dozen cars. And I found out after the fact, you know, Children's Aid would give the group home $100 to buy a child Christmas gifts. Then $50 would be spent on Christmas gifts. Where did the other half of that go, you know? That's what I think is starting to happen here. Yes, poverty is a business. Care is not involved there, right? Just the obedience, just you conforming to what they need to keep the shelter running. I know the supervisor said it was being rude to her or something like that, and it was just like, I don't know, because like, I asked them, can they be specific about, don't, don't just tell me that I'm being rude or abusive, I just want specific instances, and they're never able to give me one. 
it's always the same like answer I get from which is like either rude or abusive but it, they never have anything like precise or anything at all like it's just like they're making they might as well just be making stuff up okay you know because i've been through many walks of life honestly you know and it's egregious it's appalling it's abysmal it's absolutely deplorable the way that they treat people um the way that they 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 try to just pretty much like hang anything over your head if you're vocal or you're outspoken such as myself or anything else like that feels like you, you need to speak up or advocate for yourself or the need to defend yourself or to like stand for love to stand for humanity to stand for basically you know anything like i'm an egalitarian so i'm just concerned about rights in general and mainly the rights of everyone Oh, I, I have filed several complaints, actually, and uh, one of the staff members one day, they showed me the file, and uh, this was before I got kicked out, but they showed me my file, and none of the complaints, I, there was one, there was one complaint, but I had filed about a half a dozen. Where, what, where did they go? Did they get filed in the blue bin? Like, did they get recycled? <laughs> It's amazing because any complaints from residents seem to disappear and fade. Any complaints against residents seem to surface magically. I myself, when I was discharged from Novotel, there were no complaints on the immediate day I was kicked out. But three days later, when I came back for my appeal, my goodness, there was over a dozen <laughs> complaints of threatening. I mean, I've, I've had complaints that I submitted like three months ago and now I'm getting responses to them. But like... The three months that I had to wait for them, like, without any answer, like, increases my anxiety and, like, because the problems are still happening. So I don't know, like, if my, my complaints are being heard, I don't know what's happening. Finally, they just, like, sent me the most ridiculous, like, answer to it. And then when you bring your complaints to supervisors, nothing's being done. I don't know the name of the agency that sends people here, so, like, I can't complain to the, like, to the, to their bosses either, so I don't know, like, what to do. It's usually just take whatever it is until you either get so upset that you do something that you either get discharged or like or they find another reason to discharge people yeah of course there should be accountability but um <laughs> i mean there's there's a, a lot of a lot of uh situations that kind of go away out of the spotlight in this place um like even even some of the deaths in this place are kind of brushed under the rug you know just to quietly make it disappear so we don't have to be held accountable there's a lot of that going on here like most people are wondering like how these ill treatments just keep happening under the radar and the shelter system does have the ombudsman and the ssha it's the toronto shelter support and housing administration and they're supposed to do wraparound services for the unhoused folks so they should be monitoring the performance of central intake, for example, and making sure that they are getting people housed. And if they aren't housing people, what they can do to reduce that unhoused outdoor population. That's an example of some, some unhoused services that they should be applying themselves with. Also, the shelter standards. So when it comes to the rules, regulation, and the laws, quote-unquote, that surround shelter standards and what they should be doing, they're in charge of that. Hey, I didn't get my meal, XYZ, whatever the situation is, that the staff are violating. Instead, the SSHA hides behind their desks upstairs in uh, Metro Hall, and they don't want to interact with anyone but through email, and they will tell you directly that they don't get those negative complaints.
it is the shelter reviewing themselves on their own performance. So at no point is it getting to the SSHA, or if it is, it's after the the staff or the members that have violated are checking themselves and saying, nope, we didn't do anything wrong. So where the criminal law pretty much is applied to every citizen and the police enforce that, these guys are in charge of the shelter laws and they don't have a police force to enforce that. So they just made the rules and they're hoping that everyone just abides by them. And that's why I believe shelters are so bad. It's no different from complaining to the police about the police. Do you feel you're going to get justice? It's almost like they welcome us in the front door, they kick us out the back door as soon as we decide to question their authority. But so long as we don't question their authority, they'll help us get by, but they'll never get us to the point where we don't need them anymore. And a lot of people who work here, honestly, like who are employed here, I feel like they hang their hat like, you know, on some sort of like pompous and just grandiose stage of life that I feel personally like in the real world, never at any time in any of my professional accomplishments have I ever let my head get like so far up in the clouds that I couldn't come back down. And, you know, or at least the Lord at the end of the day couldn't talk to me, you know what I'm saying? Um, so I just feel like, I don't know, like the hubris, okay, in which people exact themselves in the shelter system. I just, again, it's comical. You know, just comical relief, satirical, if you will. I just feel like it's one of those things which is just a, a, a lacking of complete and just utter compassion and humanity. Being on the other side, as they call it, the other side, uh, I feel like not even $34 an hour could blind me from the sickness that is going on in this institution right now. Now, like, I even ask the Lord every day, like, Lord, if I ever get to the point where I feel like I have to, like, pop my chest out because of my hourly wage that I can't talk to people and all of a sudden my fellow man and their words and their heart and their beats were no longer relevant, like, or a concern to me, like, well... I mean, I feel like that's the day that I really need to just die because I'm like, what is this? Like, you know what I'm trying to say? Like, I just pray that life will never get to the point where like your hourly rage supersedes your heart and the care for your fellow man. But unfortunately, that's what we see is reality today. It really does get you thinking though, the treatment that you go through here and you see it all going down and you begin to wonder, you know, how does this rub off onto me? In in my time being here, I moved in last, I believe, September, uh, September 2022. And uh, of course, I got kicked out for six weeks in February there, but I came back in April and uh, I've been here otherwise. And, you know, it's changed me. I, I have toughened up in a way that I, I look at myself in the mirror and I ask myself, like, who the fuck are you? I don't like the person I'm becoming here because it's had to toughen me up in a way that I don't like to be. I am that friendly, approachable guy, you know? If you need a beer, yeah, come on over, brother. Let's have a beer together. You know? I, I would take a bullet for anybody in this place, but some of the treatment from the staff members here really, really denigrates, disintegrates, you know, the the shit I feel inside. I don't know, I'm having a hard time putting that into words, but I hope that makes sense, you know? it's. <laughs> and all I know is that even through a simple health issue, like IE cancer is essentially how I ended up like pretty much being the dregs of the world. I'm somebody who's always been a taxpayer, somebody who's always worked. That's the only thing that I know how to do is work and have a job. 
but I have seen the underbelly of like needing assistance from your fellow man and how it's met. Somebody died actually just a, a week or two ago there and you know, they died of a heart attack in their bathtub. You know, I know some of the people that have died here and you know, some of them don't use drugs. Some of them are actually straight edge people, you know, they're just trying to get their life straight, you know. I might drink a little bit here and there, but I'm just trying to get my life straight, just like these other people, you know. And uh, it's sad, you know, when they pass away. It's, we, we had a memorial actually uh, last month there, and I knew two of the, fuck, Baker's dozen of people that had passed away in the last year here. Like on average, there's somebody dying every month that I had know of. Now, let's start thinking about the ones I don't know of. It's a deep impact, you know? When that guy died, it really got me thinking, you know? The stress that I go through in this place, maybe I'm gonna die here. Maybe I don't have a future outside of this building. And that's a, that's a big thought to be produced from, from living in the environment for a short time. You gotta think of it like this. We're all here for a reason, right? Our, our ancestors, no matter what kind of wars, pillages in the history books that were written and unwritten, we survived to be born right now to do something. <laughs> it's, it's, it's funny you mentioned that. I'm, as much as I'd, I've wanted to kill myself in the past, you know, I'm always a big chicken. Big old pussy, I could never do it. And you know, it's because I think I was put here to do something and I don't think I've done what I need to do yet. <laughs> Everybody out there who, you know, turn their face away from somebody panhandling or begging on the street or saying, oh, they're going to spend it on drugs. Um, none of us are perfect. The people do drugs, homeless or not, uh, mental health, addiction issues, um, divorce, one mortgage payment away, the economy, 40% inflation on the basket of goods. Um, it's very worrying. It's certainly not the Canadian dream, not something I was taught in school. For the most part, I do see a lot of people in here trying to try. We're all just trying to get by in life. We don't want to be in this situation. We're trying to get out, so. Fuck, I, I wish people hear these stories and know we're so much alike. Don't avert your eyes when you see us. We won't rob you or we're just, struggling and sometimes we need just a hand up not a handout just a smile just an just a hello I don't have money but maybe on my way back if I have change I got you or can I get you a water and when we panhandle mostly women give and people with disabilities men step up 2023 and that's the biggest thing is the stigma you know we're not down and out hobo degenerates that are trying to suckle off the government teat and get high on, on your dollar, on your tax dollars. That's not what's going down here. Everybody in the city of Toronto should be entitled to food, shelter, and clothing. It's a basic means of life. To say I'm a little upset is just an understatement. This should not happen. This is an injustice. I just want to say this to everyone who's listening, you know, don't feel defeated. 
There, there was something to live for. There was something to fight against. You know, homes first is not the be all end all of of life. You know, there, there is life beyond this place. We just gotta fight for it. to thank all our sponsors all the clients who assisted and participated and helped in the strength of creating this podcast jimmy padamas jimmy made the music the rest of the voices team that has helped us put this together like sid and nahum and michelle and dreads toronto arts council oh yeah and I would also like to thank absolutely everyone for taking the time to listen to everyone's story for allowing us in your ears and your mind. This topic, it's very sensitive, it's very real, but it needs to be done. Please subscribe if you like the information you're receiving. More to come.